This is Living Faith, the podcast ministry of First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. We are located at 100 North Lake Avenue. Our Sunday morning services start at 1045 a.m. Sunday school is at 930 a.m. You can find out more information about First Baptist Church at fbcap.net. You're listening to our current Sunday morning series, Who Are We? Take your copy of God's Word, if you will, and find the New Testament book of Titus. Titus chapter 2. As we continue our study of the book of Titus, we've kind of been following a theme now for several weeks as we, before the holidays of of who we are, and we've looked at many different aspects of what it is to answer that question, who are we? Everything from our assurance of salvation to some of the, the details of being a, a Baptist church and some of the ideas of being the, the body of Christ. And so we'll be looking at the book of Titus, and we still are, are asking ourselves this question, who are we? What does it mean to be the church? So turn, if you will, to Titus chapter 2. I'm going to begin reading there in in verse 1 of Titus chapter 2. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders, or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands. The word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works, And in your teaching, show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves also are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. And they will be well-pleasing and not argumentative. Not pilfering, but showing all good faith. So that in everything, they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the picture of your word this morning of the church and who we are. And I pray, Lord, that as we open up your word and I ask that you would open up our minds and hearts to it, that we would hear it, that we would believe it, that we would embrace it, and that we would live it out. And this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. And amen. Well, God does some kind of interesting good things to pastors as we are preparing for messages. A lot of times people wonder, what is a sermon preparation like? And I guess I could just simply answer, it depends on who the preacher is. Uh, We have different methodologies and different personalities. 
Uh, I'm a guy that I get, I'll go home this afternoon and it's kind of my routine. I'll go home this afternoon and begin to looking at next week and putting things together and I have different seasons throughout the week that I do the, the word studies and the Greek work and the Hebrew work and all the, 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 the serious study. But I'm always thinking, I, I invented my own little word. I have kind of a, a crock pot methodology. I just put it on cook and let it simmer for about seven days. Now, that's good and bad. Sometimes it gets a little too done, amen? Uh, but in the simmering process, and, and uh, for those that are involved with social media, social media is a blessing and a curse, you understand that. But uh, on social media this week, I was looking at different things, and in particular Facebook, and I came across a, a great picture of one of my dear friends in ministry, and it had a picture of his son, sitting next to his great-grandfather. So if I'm the dad, it would be my son sitting on the couch with my grandfather. So it was the great-great-grandson sitting next to the great-great-grandfather. Great picture. And I began to sit there and think about that picture. They both had the same middle name or something, and Joe was just commenting. You know, they were both looking at each other. I began to think about it a little more differently uh, Joe is from a wonderful Christian godly home. Uh, his mom and dad raised him in church. He was faithful in church as a young adult. And, and uh, one of those kids that when he left the youth group, he stayed in church. And he began continued to serve the Lord. And God called him into ministry. And his wife's in ministry. And his great-grandfather, they're, they're all wonderful church Christian people. And it was just a great picture. It's not, not just a great picture. And as I was preparing and praying and and thinking through the text, I began to realize Titus 2 is a great picture. It's a great picture of just as a family Christmas picture on the couch. The church is a great picture of the family. We are a family with children and great-grandchildren and great-grandparents and everything in between. And as we look at Titus and we look at who we are as a church, I want us, if we don't leave with anything, if you, I want you to hear this. I want you to see that we as a church are a family. And as we just went through the holidays, how many of us enjoy time with your family? And you, you sit down and you reflect and you see pictures. In my, in my household, I, I was able to sit back and watch uh, uh, children and parents and grandparents, and great-grandparents. You know that Sharon and I have twins, a boy and a girl. Sharon has a sister. Her son had twins, boy and a girl. I got to see twins, grandparents, grandchildren, twins, great-grandchildren. Emily noticed that uh, they were the apple of their grandfather's eyes as twins. You can imagine twin little Becks running around. We're grateful they act more like their mother. but So granddaddy just loved those twins when they were little. Well, now granddaddy's great-granddaddy and great-granddaddy's got twin great-grandchildren. Brantley and Emily have been pushed to the side. Emily said it's a sad day when grandfather looks at those great... Isn't that funny, though? She kind of picked up... She said, it's just, when you're a little kid, people just kind of grab... I said, honey, I've been, that's been my whole life since I've been in that family. I've been pushed to the side. Don't you feel sorry for me? Wouldn't it be great, just for a second, that can affect all eternity? If we entered the doors of this building from this point forward, and we treated it like 
going to grandparents over the holidays. We're waiting on the grandchildren to arrive. We're waiting to see how great-granddaddy responds when the grandkids get here. We're, we're waiting on the meal to get served, and we're, we're gathering around the table in our differences, in our peculiarities, in our seasons of life, and we realize we've got something special here that no one else has. That is the church, church. We are a family. And Titus 2 reminds us what it is to have the body of Christ, the household of God, and to be the family. One of the things that I have been laying out there in, in deacons' meetings, and you'll be seeing them in teachers' meetings, it's kind of a, uh, maybe it's a little bit of my, my coaching background and my Marine Corps background. You know, we, the, the, something about the military and sports, we love to keep everybody motivated. And several weeks ago, I was talking to Matt, and Matt and I were talking, and I just got all excited. I said, you know what? What we need to do this year is we need to be all in. We just need to be all in. Doesn't that fit perfectly right here at Titus 2? You noticed in your order of service, all in. Did you notice also in the letter A as a steeple? You know whose steeple that is? That's our steeple. And, And tucked in this all in is the church. And in order to be all in, and to be all in as a church and a body of Christ, I think we need to embrace Titus 2 this morning. We're a family. If you're visiting with us, and you're a believer, and you do not have a church home, I want to encourage you to pray about joining a family. I want to encourage you to be part of a church. If you've been visiting with us for a season, if you've never made the the, the public profession, the commitment to join the church, I want to encourage you, be part of a family. That's what the church is. We are a family. Notice from the text this morning, there's older men, older women, younger men, younger women. And I don't think that's by accident that the Lord inspired Paul as he wrote this to Titus and the church. He's painting the picture of the family. You remember in Ephesians, it talks about the husband and wife coming together. And he said that it's a picture of Christ and the church. And so if a picture of Christ and the church is a husband and wife coming together, then it also naturally should flow that the picture of the church being a family is a picture of Christ and his church. We are literally a picture of the household of God to the world that we live in. Before we go back to the text, I want to let us think a little bit about the family. One, the importance of the family. Now, when you think about in Genesis 1, what began to take place? God created, he created man, he created woman, and he said, you know what, there's a purpose. God is a God of purpose. God always has a purpose for everything that he does. He didn't create man and woman just to create man and woman. He created man and woman because he's got the family in mind. What is the one commandment that man has been willing to obey that God gave? Go and be fruitful and multiply. And we have done that. When we look at the importance of the family, we understand this. The family is literally, now hear me, the family is literally the backbone of society. That should ring true today, should it not? When we get the family mixed up, we can't figure out what the family is. Guess what follows behind it? Society. When we can't figure out what the family is, then society doesn't know who they are, and society becomes a free fall of what life is all about based on what they think. 
the family is basically the foundation and the backbone of society. God ordained it and God commissioned it. God created it. He said, you come together and multiply. Notice what it said in Genesis, to multiply and to rule over. Now, as we think about that ruling over, it was the idea that God has said, I have created you, you go and rule over my creation. You know what that literally means? I have created you to worship me as your creator. The family is the backbone of society, but you know what the chief end of man is? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. You know what the family is there for? To glorify God. We are here and put together as a family, and our goal is to glorify God in everything that we do. As the body of Christ, as we look at the picture of the Christ church as a family, our goal is to glorify God. Maybe I'm just in a sentimental mood now. I don't know. Maybe I've got the holiday sentimental highs going on. You sit back at Christmas, and you look at the holidays. So many of you were able to do this. Children, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents. You, you think about what we've gone through from older to younger. You look at the way that life has been there and things unfolded. Is that not a picture of the glory of God? I look at my household, I look at my family, I look at the, the visits, I look at all that took place over this past week and all the things that are going on as a family, and it's to God be the glory great things he hath done. The family is a picture of God's glory and grace and what it means to come together as one. What a great picture and what a great idea that we are to rule, we are to to live our life that we glory over God's creation. You remember though, in, in Matthew, the 28th chapter, when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, what did he tell us to do? Go and make disciples. We never need to forget that. We glorify God as we make disciples. We glorify God as we make disciples. I worship God as I make disciples. I worship God and I'm about the business he's called me to do. To go live my life and make a difference in the world that I live in. Go live my life and then pour my life into others around me as I glorify and live for him. There are three things we need to do in regards to that. One, we honor and worship God. We invest, influence, and impact others out there, and we encourage one another. Have you thought about that as a family? As a family of God, we are there to worship and glorify Him in everything that we do. It's all about Him. But I never lose track of, because there's a balance to me. Some people have a very low view of God, but they're great at sharing the gospel. Some people have a high view of God and never open their mouth to get the gospel. Why Why can't we do both? Why can't I have a high view of God and his sovereignty and rule and his his glory in my life, but at the same time, I'm so excited about that, I'm eagerly sharing my faith with a world that so desperately needs to hear it. But we don't need to forget this, and here's where I want us to focus on as we continue on in our text. We glorify God with our life, we share the gospel with our life, but we can never forget the one another's in our life. It's all about him, it's all about them, but it's also one another. The church, look to your left, look to your right, those are one another's. You're one another's. You can do a great Bible study on the one another. Sometimes we think, and I'm I'm Baptist, so I can pick on Baptist. I can't speak on everybody else, but I can talk about Baptist because I am one. 
we think of it this way. Well, I better get to church today. I need to get to, it's been a while since I've been to church. I need to get there. It's the new year. Let me go to church. It's a special day. And, we, and it's almost like, well, I know I need to do that. It's kind of like I, I shared with somebody. Somebody asked me, my mother, somebody said, well, have you ever thought about joining a gym? Why do people, and I looked at it, and I was like, well, why would that be somebody something to ask me? My stepmother looked at me and said, well, I can tell Sharon's feeding you well. And I said, listen. I was with my brother. I said, my brother is a beanpole. You cannot compare me to him. He, he needs to eat a little more. So, so, but somebody said, have you ever thought about joining a gym? And I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to be transparent, real transparent. I've joined Gold's Gym twice since I've lived here. <laughs> what happens when you join Gold's Gym? You pay for it for a year. Do you know how many times I went? I was going to be a swimmer, a world-class swimmer, after I almost drowned in Lake Lillian. So I go to Gold's Gym. I'm going to start swimming. I drive way down there, and the only hour that I can swim when I joined that year, women's aerobics was going on in the wintertime. Well, I did it once. When I realized they could swim better than me, I got embarrassed and never went back. So I'm like, oh, so I've joined Ghost Gym twice and went twice, paid for it for 24 months. Anybody else ever done that? I think sometimes we think church is that way. Well, it's a new year. Better go to church. Hey, it's been a while. I better go to church. Well, there's some truth to that. It would be like me sitting around going, well, it's Christmas. I better go. think I need to go see mom today. Well, it's Thanksgiving. I wonder if I got time to see family at Thanksgiving. Well, that sounds absurd, doesn't it? I think we forget that the church is a family. We are here for one another. And as we look at the church, we realize we're a family. And we need to be all in. And as we look around the room, we look around, we understand that there's something special going on here that you can't get anywhere else. And you know it once you find it. And until you find it, you know there's something missing. And I tell you, it's a relationship with Christ, and it's a relationship as a body of Christ as a family. I believe more than anything we've missed that in our society. I was listening to a, uh, a gentleman on a podcast. That's the way to listen to a little conference. And he said that their target, and this broke my heart, his target is reaching young families. But a young family can only usually come to church about 15 times a year. And so they design their ministries to reach someone that can attend 15 times a year. I understand what he's saying, that families are busy and a lot of families only can come 15 times a year. But if you kind of do the math, that's not very faithful attendance either. Now, I'm not saying that we tell people, well, if you can't come every Sunday, you can't preach. No, but I think it's a mindset. We want to be here anytime we can be here. We can't be here every Sunday, right? We've got things you need to do. I've got things I need to do. I've got vacation. I try to take that vacation. I try to visit my family. Some of those days may be on a Sunday. Sometimes we just cannot get here. But the idea is, but we want to be here. There's been holidays I couldn't go home, but I called my, hey, I can't get there. We couldn't go to Georgia in Thanksgiving. We stayed here. We were part of our family, but we wanted to be there. Here's the idea about church. We are ministering to people that want to be here when they can be here. There's a big difference. When you're coming 
to, according to this pastor, when you come once every 15 months, you become like an object, like you're trying to sell the church. And, you know, well, here, here's an event. Here's a thing. Here's a, you're, you become part of a crowd. I don't want to be a, a church where there's a crowd. I want to be a church where we're a family. Yesterday was a great picture of that, by the way. A church being a family. A church being the church. We have a family member that husband passed away one day and the same, the next day her mother passes away. Did you get that? Husband passes away on one day, the next day her mom passed away. You know what yesterday was? A family coming together, walking through life together as a church. The world can't offer that. Only the church can. A church is where we laugh together. We cry together. We do life together. It's a family. Secondly, I want us to think about this. That was the importance of the family. Secondly, let's think about this before we really dive into the text. A family consists of different generations. Now, I've been thinking a lot about this week. I did a lot of driving. There's different generations that Titus 2 is mentioning. As you move from generation to generation, isn't it amazing how your life changes? Don't we know that? Younger folks don't get that, do they? You don't get it until you start sliding into other generations. Isn't that true? But I sat there and I watched Sharon's dad, now a great-grandfather, with those great-grandchildren. And I remember when I first met Elmer when he was when I was young and he was young and I think back to roles and responsibilities I think about when Brantley and Katie were there they're newlyweds they're still newlyweds silly and goofy just like Sharon and I probably was at that age well I'm still silly and goofy but I've moved on a little bit and it's just so refreshing to see the youthfulness and the youngness of a young married couple and the wisdom and maturity of an 80 year old great-grandfather And they're all sitting there under one home and one roof. And we look out and we expect it. Have you noticed today? What what did we see today? What are we seeing today? We're seeing a companies in different generations today. We see a a praise team made up of, of high schoolers and graduates. We see a choir with senior adults and medium adults and young adults. We look out into the congregation and we see different age groups and different seasons of our life. It is a great picture of generations within the body of Christ. We don't cater to a generation. We don't cater to age group. We, we reach families for Christ. We are, we are generations. I want to show you this quick video. One, uh, I'd ask Curtis Nelson is always a, a great help and support in any way that he can with different things. And I'd ask him, I sent him on a task a few months ago. I said, I want some, some videos of some of our church members talking about being part of the family and being part of, of our small group ministries. And so I want you to take a few moments and look at our screens. This is one of our faithful church members, Mary Bass. And, and uh, she is unable to come to church as often as she would like but she still loves the church and loves the Lord. I want you to hear her story, and I want you to look at her life and think of generations and the impact that she has had, but also, don't miss this, the impact that others had in her life. So let's take a few moments and watch this quick video.
Miss Mary Bass, what is it you <clears throat> like about Sunday school? Well, just about everything, but of course, the, the, the most wonderful part of it is the fact that I felt like that God led me to be a Sunday school teacher, and for that, I give him great honor and glory. And in addition to that, I had a wonderful class. Uh, the women were all older. They were mature women. And, of course, we had uh, uh, guests come in occasionally, you know. But uh, they were very good. They were very good to ask questions. And, of course, I prepared with that in mind. I, I can assure you that I learned more than they ever did. It was really educational for me because when you attempt to uh, teach a Sunday school lesson, you have to dig and that, uh, that is good because I really uh, learned the Bible. And it, it was just a wonderful experience because it's not like just sitting down and reading your Sunday school lesson. You found out very quickly that you have to do a lot of background. And so you grow spiritually and you learn more. And it, it's, it's a wonderful learning uh, technique to be a teacher. And being a Sunday school teacher, you have to visit. And when you visit someone in their home and you sit and talk with them, and you, uh, you get to know them in a better way, uh, in a deeper way. And so even today, uh, they, uh, I think of all these women and how wonderful they were. And they all went on to, to uh, do their thing. And they're uh, busy in the church and and I think that's just absolutely wonderful. I'll say this, I ministered in many ways in the church, and I, I think that that was one of the greatest ministries I ever had. I did skits, and uh, I sat in the nursery, and I done all the other things, and I knew so many things, and the church means so much to me uh, because I was able to use any of the skills that, that they felt that I had, uh, and I used them for the Lord, and it has, uh, uh, it's been tremendous how good God has been to us. He's allowed us to do that. And, uh, I have a, a, a little thing over in my living room that I, uh, uh, I can't read anymore, but uh, I have the Bible on tape all the way through. In fact, I've started over, and I'm almost finished up on Genesis. It's even deeper and better because I've picked up things before. But I tell you one thing, there's nothing more wonderful to me than to teach the Bible. God bless the First Baptist Church, and God bless every person in it, and every one of the wonderful preachers that we had. To God be the honor and glory. Amen. Isn't that great? Did you pick up on those things? Now, I have no idea how old Miss Mary is, and I'm not about to ask, but did you notice what she said? I started teaching that class, and there was a lot of older, more mature women than I am. And she said that she learned from them. Did you hear her say the, the joy of, of visiting? You know, think about the family. You know, there, there's something about, you just think about the family and the intimacy of a family as we gather over the season and the holidays and, and breaking bread together and being around the meal. That's just, that's family. When you're part of something and you're investing in one another. Did you hear her talking about the importance of Scripture in her life? How about this, that she's getting more out of it now than she ever has? Isn't that wonderful?
That's something that each and every one of us ought to be able to say, that I'm getting more out of God's Word today than I ever have before. I've heard so many old pastors mention that to me, that the Bible has become more alive. So it's kind of a a private prayer that I have, that the Bible becomes more alive today than it ever has. So the family is important. The family is different. But with that difference comes responsibilities. Each age group, each group has a responsibility. I think the older you get, you realize the more you wish you would have done. Is that not true? You, will, you realize the more you wish you would have done, and you, you have this season of life to where you can either give up or keep going. And the idea would be that as we grow older and we get into a, a season of our life as a generation, I want to encourage you that it's a season that we pour our life and invest in others. And then as a younger person, and the differences that we see with a younger person should be that we realize, maybe I'm not the smartest person in the room. Maybe there's a lot to be said about wisdom and maturity, and we might have the energy and the time to invest and do more, but we're always looking to those that have gone before us and picking up on their wisdom. See, in society, I think there are perceptions. And and as a church, we need to stay away from those perceptions. Society would say, well, you you get to a certain age, you just can't do anything, you don't count for anything. So uh, younger folks, just typically younger folks, look, I'm I'm experiencing a little bit of that in my life. Like 50s over the hill or something. You know, I don't don't have a clue. I'm old, you know. Uh, Young people think they have all the answers. They don't need to listen to anybody. They're reckless and abandoned. They, they take too many chances. They just free and go, and they make everybody nervous. And well, and Then we have the older generation. Their perception is they know everything. And what we've always done was if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. Well, I don't know if Jesus really did church the way we think he did it back in the day. But anyway, you know what I mean. And so you've got the older generation that's just kind of in their little ruts. And they think the young people don't have any sense and they don't have any idea. You've got the younger people that think the old folks are fuddy-duddy and they're over the hill and they don't know. And you get this in society and that's why we are divided in so many different ways. And we look at our society and millennials and bridgers and Gen Xers and all this stuff and we're just divided. Isn't that sad? Why can't we let our church and our society, or I can't say society because uh, Titus was not written to the society, it was written to the church. So why can't we let our church be like a good, healthy family? There's great-grandfather. He's been around the block. He doesn't move as quick as he used to, but he's still my great-grandfather. And I love him, and I respect him, and I know he's fought the good fight. And everything he's done, he's probably done for the best interest of the family. And I look at those young children, and I, and I see these young children that have all this energy and idea, and they're going to change the world. Well, don't forget, you were going to change the world too when you were their age. 
Why can't we embrace their youthfulness and their zeal and allow them to feel like that they are part of the family and that they do have a voice and they do have a place in life? See, as we think about the church and we think about society, it is generations coming together. Generations coming together for the common good. Look at the text. The family is very important. We are, there are differences within these generations, but yet there are responsibilities and expectations that we have. If you're, if you're here today, wherever season of life, I'm going to let you figure that out. I don't know where 50 is. Maybe I need to Google is 50 young or old? I have no idea. I don't know where I, I land. So I don't know if I'm old yet or young yet. I don't know. But I think the Bible is very clear. If we're going to be all in, we need to find our spot. We need to get there. We need to love the Lord. We need to love the church. We need to love one another. And we need to love the world in which God has placed us. And I think in order to do that, we have to understand the biblical expectations that God is placing on us. Verses 1 through 2 of chapter 2. Older men, notice there in verse 1, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. You know, one of the saddest things I think I've ever heard, and I have heard it, Everywhere I've pastored. So I can't say it's an Indiana thing or a Georgia thing or a Minnesota thing. I can't say it's regionally. I think it's worldwide. One of the saddest things I've ever heard is to be in a Bible study group or a setting and you bring up a doctrinal word and have an older person say, well, I've never heard of that before. And you go, why haven't you? It's in the Bible. Well, I just, that's never been... We just never talk, we, uh, and I'm going, how sad is that? That I am, so I'm going to ask you this question, whether you're 5 or 105. Do we not have the Spirit of God, yes or no? Yes. Do we have the Word of God? Yes. That's all we need. To take the Bible, to open it up, to pray through it, to read it, to study it. It is amazing to me. You know, it's like when you you see something out in our world and they tag it with Christianity. And we go, oh, that's great. A lot of times it's not great. I think about Donald Trump. And Lord knows I'm not about to get into politics. I got into politics with one of my nephews just being funny. He's like 10 and I got him so riled up. Now, I'm going to be respectful, but just President-elect Trump, did he just go out there and say, you know what, I just want to make everybody happy, so I'm just going to take a hodgepodge of Christian people that say they're Christian and let them be part of this inauguration. Am I the only one that understands that? Have you seen the lineup? I mean, so do you think that God's going, whew, okay, at least you got a couple that got it right, but those others, are, no, we don't just play Christian. We don't just play, well, let me, let, me, uh, let me just minister to the mass. I want everybody to be happy under the banner of Jesus. It's like when Romney was running for president, they said, well, Romney's a Christian. Okay, a Mormon is not a born-again believer of the Lord Jesus Christ based on the authority of Scripture. There's no way around that. 
It's not. And so when, when, when something like that happens and the mass is just, oh, isn't that great? Look at the diversity at the inauguration prayer thing. Okay, some of it's just borderline heresy. And if we don't know that, please don't tell me you don't get it, okay? I want you to go home and figure that out because it's not right. Older men, here's your responsibility. You need to be teaching the Bible to younger men in this church. We all are not gifted to preach and proclaim and teach, but older men need to be men of sound doctrine. We are old, we are wise, we've been around long enough, we have the Word of God, the people of God, the building of God, the pulpit of God. But as for you, teach what is according to sound doctrine. Men, you need to be teaching the Word by the way that you live your life, by the words that you say, by the example that you live. Our younger people ought to be looking at you and they say, you know what, when, when I get that age, I want to be just like him. I'm doing that now. I, I look at preachers out there. When I get to be, I'm going to be just like him. That's what I want to do. Older men, be of sound doctrine. Be a teacher. Be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled. Now, what is one of the things, what is one of the things we like to get on to older men about? I'll talk about my father-in-law, even though I know he listens to this. Maybe this will be the Holy Spirit to convict him a little bit. Just because you get to a certain age doesn't mean you have the freedom to be grouchy. It's like we go to a restaurant and we're all like, Please let the tea be cold enough or sweet enough. Please, we're just on eggs, you know, and it's like we're watching Elmer. Why? At what point do we say, well, I've I've hit that age. I'm just going to be grouchy from here on out. Why is everybody, it's funny because some of you wives are going, waking them up, make sure they're hearing I don't know. My, my daughter says I'm getting to be that way. That's very convicting. I'll get to the younger folks in a moment. <laughs> Think about the influence older men we can have in the lives of other men and other people in our church. I went back and preached at my home church over the, over the spring break uh, when I was with Nam, and it was so encouraging for me to have people come by me and go, you probably don't remember me. I said, yes, I do remember you. You were one of the deacons at this church, and I remember a young man watching you and hearing you pray and, and watching the way that you served. Oh, I do remember you. Now, I was just some little old knucklehead cotton-top knucklehead kid. I had real blonde hair in trouble all the time. But you know what? We had men that were dignified and they carried themselves and they would be what I would call churchmen. Older men, we need to be churchmen and dignified. Notice what else it says. Self-controlled, reverent, dignified, sound in faith. Verse 2, loving and patient. Older men, I know, I'm getting there. We, we know, I know, I know. These young guys, they think they have all the answers. You're the same way. I had a gentleman in the previous church, literally, I hate to say this, 
he would come in one room, he would come in a room one door, and I'd go out the other door. I could do it real slick too, though. Oh, got to go to the office. I'll be right. Why? I just didn't want to hear it. You know, right before you're going to preach. Pastor, I saw one of those kids had on shorts at the church. Okay. Pastor, the youth got that music in the back. I know. And I, he loved the Lord. I get it. I don't know what, but isn't that sad? Okay, yes, I know, I got it, yes, yes, thank you. Loving, patient. You know what I think part of older men we need to realize? We were the same way, and we forget that. We were the same way. I was telling one of our younger leaders in kind of a joking way, and he was saying something, I said, you know, you're going to be real fun, you get to be about 80. Isn't that sad that we even say that? So older men, I want you to be a teacher. Know what you know because you know it and be willing to share it and live it out. Be sober-minded, reverent, be dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, loving, patient. Verse 3. Older women, I have no idea what age that is. You determine that. Be reverent, righteous, holy. Be reverent in your behavior. You know, we think about, and throughout Scripture, it talks about widows and when a widow marry and iron. It talks about different things, about this, that, and the other. And it talks about, it's funny, we, we make jokes, but it's true, isn't it? You know, grouchy men, ah. Busybody little old ladies. I had a little Sunday school class, and they'd sit in there. I said, what are y'all talking about? You don't need to know. We've been here four hours, though, talking about it. I said, now, y'all can't say this is a prayer card ministry and sit up here and gossip all day, okay? I used to tell them that. Older ladies, be reverent. Be truthful not slanderers. Old ladies don't drink wine either. Isn't that funny to have that ladies drinking wine? I don't know what was going on in the New Testament. I guess they just pulling up the Mad Dog 2020 and slandering drinking wine all day. I don't know what y'all up to. Probably a better way to understand that, be self-controlled. Think about history. And I think this, this will unlikely be reverent, be truthful, not slanders, be sober. There were a lot of widows in the early church. You think about health care and things back in that day, and, and the life expectancy was a lot shorter, and historically men have passed a lot sooner than ladies have passed. And so you think about what would have been going on here. And you have a collection of ladies that are looking for something to do, and they're sitting around, they're just busy, and they're talking, and the wine and alcoholism was very rampant back in the day because they didn't have things to drink like we drink. And the word to the ladies was, be reverent. Watch what you say. 
Whether you're young or old, words are hurtful. There is something about the older generation that it is hurtful. I mean, I know that it may be the truth, and, and sometimes, you know, we say things, and we go, well, they're just older, and they just say things. But words are hurtful. And if you don't know it, don't say it. If it doesn't build up, don't say it. If it's going to tear down, don't say it. That's one of the dangers of social media. Young people will get to that in a minute. And I love the way verse 3 ends. Teach what is good. If none, that's twice. Teach what is good. Years ago, Sharon and I were introduced to a, a one-on-one discipleship ministry to where it was one-on-one. It was called a Timothy Paul ministry, and you would, you would meet one-on-one, and you would just meet on your, you, you, set, you scheduled the time, there's the material, one-on-one. And there was a lady in the, prep, in, in the presentation of the material, there was a story about a lady that was a widow, couldn't drive, couldn't get out, had a good, it was like her, her mind was still sharp, but her body had betrayed her, Amen. And she said, I cannot meet people, but I will open up my house to people. And they, she just had a schedule of appointments that she would never leave her home. And young ladies continuously were mentoring, being mentored by her and meeting with her. And she would pray with them. And I thought, what a great idea. How many, how many times does a young woman or a young mother or, or someone that's going through a difficult time just wish they had somebody they could reach out to and talk to? And I think about all the life experience that we have. Young women need older women to teach them. Older women, open up your life to some of our younger ladies. Make yourself available within the life of the church. As we enter into the building, we're looking for the younger generations that we can invest in and meet and encourage. Verse 4. And so train the young women. I love that. You know, this is, God's word is God's word for a reason. Older women... Train younger women to love their husbands and children. So if you, if you look at it from a different standpoint, if we say, let's just say hypothetically, if an older generation of ladies were to look back and say, let's just say an older generation of ladies looks at young mothers now, they don't have a clue. These young mothers just don't have a clue. Back when we were raising our kids, da-da-da-da-da. Whose responsibility was it to train these younger mothers how to be a wife and raise their children? How many of us said that? We see kids running around. Well, when I was growing up, when I was raising my children, older ladies, train, mentor, model, pray so that our younger mothers do know how to be a godly mother and a godly wife. Younger women, love your husbands. We can't get around that. Nowhere do you see, in you know, so many places in Scripture, there are roles as husband and wife. Love your husband. Love your children. I want to say it this way. It talks about it later on in verse 5. Be subject to your husband. I want to combine that in with verse 5. Love your husband. Love your children. Be a homemaker. Be subject to your husband. I want to just say it this way. Women, be proud to be a woman. Amen? This whole gender thing just is just nerve-wracking to me. Women, be women. Men, be men. Okay? It's not difficult. 
Men, lead your home like a godly man. Woman, be excited that you're being married to a godly man, and I'm a woman. Embrace it. This trying to figure out who we are and this inner thing screaming. No, you are who you are because that's the way you were created to be. It's ridiculous. I'm not going to get into working in the home and out of the home. That's, that's, we, we can talk about that later. But the idea is young women be excited to be a mother. Be excited to be a wife. Be excited that God has placed a man in your life to be your husband. Love him. Love being a mother. If you're working, then work, but still love being a mother. Enjoy what God has called you to be. Verse 5, be self-controlled. Every one of these is just be self-controlled. Be pure. Be kind. Young women, be self-controlled and kind. I'm not the Holy Spirit, and I've not been inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the Word, but I would have probably wanted to have something like this in parentheses. Young people in general, don't act like we have all the answers. Be kind and gracious. Love your family. Be self-controlled. Be pure. Men, verse 8, 6 and 8, we urge young men, again, be self-controlled. And I look at that word self-controlled, level-headed. It's act, don't react. We live in a world that we react Throw it out there on Twitter. Throw it out there on Facebook. Throw it out there on the email. Just throw it out there for everybody to see. Ah! Settle down. Take a deep breath. Show a little more self-control. Allow the Holy Spirit to encourage you and strengthen you. Just, Just use sense. The whole world with younger people, everybody's not against you, okay? It's all right. Settle down. You're going to be all right. The world's not against you. It's not about your self-esteem and your pride and prestige and popularity. It's going to be all right. Take a deep breath. Learn from the older women and the older men. Younger men, self-controlled, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Be a good example. And in your teaching, you notice every one of these has something to do with teaching, what we believe, what we know. Show integrity and dignity. Now that word dignity, what does dignity mean? I think dignity carries the idea that we live in a society and, you know, it's like coarse joking. I remember being a a young man and it seemed like every Monday you had to get to work and hear all the wife, the woman jokes. Am I the only one that used to be around construction guys? We'd gather around and talk about, well, me and the old lady this weekend. I'm like, what are we doing? I mean, that is my wife. That is my treasure. That is the one that is my my soulmate for eternity. And 
the things that I say, the way that I treat others, the way, you know, I look at racism and bigotry. I look at, I look at the election and the way that we treat and we respond on media and the things that we say and the things that we pass along. I, I was sharing with the youth today, and I don't know if I said this. I wanted to. So youth, if I said it, I did. I didn't. I did, you know, listen. Every time you send that text with that picture on it, or you send that text with that joke on it, include Jesus in that group and see if you'll send it. We act one way. What if we were to start? What if we were to scroll down your textbook account right now? What if? What if? What if young people? We were looking at your Snapchat right now. That'd be good on display, wouldn't it? Facebook or social media, the things that we watch, the things that we do, the things that we see. Men, we need to be people of dignity, good examples, sound doctrine. And sound in speech. So what you see as you step back in the church, you see a family. I see the, the great granddaddy in the recliner because he's been raking leaves with his son-in-law all day and he can't get up and his hip's hurting. But he's got a great grandchild bouncing in his lap and he's having the time of his life. I see the parents trying to get the presents to the grandkids and everybody's rooting around the house and we're all smiling and we're all looking around and we know that we're in different generations and different seasons but we're there for the same reason because it's, it's Christmas and we're family and we love each other. That to me should be the picture of a church. We've got an older generation that's fought the good fight. They, they, they're still fighting, but they don't think they're fighting as well as they once were. That's okay. We've got a younger generation that has all the answers and all the technology, and they're going to charge hell with a water pistol first thing in the morning. That's all right. We're a family. I read a book one time about reaching somebody who are you reaching and I, I told somebody this not long ago who are you reaching I said I'm reaching Avon Park I'm not reaching millennials only or senior adults only I'm reaching as a pastor Avon Park I want to pastor a church to where we respect and honor our faithful men and women of senior adults I want to pastor a church where our senior adults are more than willing to yet some of the younger people be connected and involved with the church more than willing to realize that some of the things we did a hundred years ago probably they don't even know anything about a church that is like grandparents and we're eating and we're just being who we are that's what Paul is telling Titus be who you are and embrace it as we embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. One last statement and we'll close with this. The church, who are we? We are the church where we do family together. Let's stand as we pray. Lord, we're grateful for the family of God, the household of God, the body of Christ. We're grateful that we have you, Lord Jesus, and the gospel that binds all things together. Lord, I'm thankful for Titus 2 and the generations that we see laid out in Scripture. Men and women of integrity and 
sound faith, full of love and kindness that crosses generational lines in order to glorify you and to reach our neighborhoods for Christ. Lord, I'm thankful for the picture of the church in Acts chapter 2 that we literally can be all in and devoted to the things that are of you. But Lord, we know that is only possible as we embrace the gospel. That is only possible when we understand that all we have is you, Christ. Help us to see that and to live that out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.